Welcome to the People First Leaders Podcast. My name is Doug Utberg, Marine Corps veteran, founder CEO of ExpenseReviews.com, and I have absolutely nothing to sell you. The purpose of this commercial-free show is to honor the leaders who approach life as go-givers by putting their people and customer value first. Stick around until the end of the show, and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in about 20 minutes. Let's go. We have Joe Batista here with us today, and what we're going to be talking about is charging up your superpower skills by becoming a digital nomad. And so Joe actually has some background here. And so because what he did was starting in 2019, he actually spent time in Mexico and let's see, it was Mexico and Colombia, did you say? Mexico and Colombia as a digital nomad and developed a native speaker level of fluency. And so one of the things that's happening right now is that it's really basically easier than it ever has been to follow the digital nomad lifestyle. And I think that one of the most valuable things you can do is use that to develop certain specific skills that will enhance your ability to be successful with your life. But anyway, Joe, don't let me monologue. Introduce yourself. Uh, thanks, Doug. Uh, my name is Joe Bautista. I've been working as a financial planner for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. That's where I got my start as a digital nomad because I had that source of income. And my end goal is to become completely fluent in Spanish. I'm pretty conversational, understand about 80% of what people are talking about. And I just spend my time between Mexico, the U.S., a little bit, and Colombia during the year. And I've done this for the last three years. So, And I was going to say 80% is pretty good because I would say that I probably understand less than 80% of what a lot of English speakers are talking about in any given day. So. <laughs> Mostly because a lot of things that people say don't make much sense to me. That was just my way of making a snarky joke. So, but anyway, tell us a little bit about what got you going on this journey and what were some of the things you learned that kind of uh, caught you by surprise? Well, so I'm a financial planner, mm-hmm. half Latino. My dad was born in Mexico, but I was born here in Oregon. And I just noticed that like 3% of financial advisors are Latinos. And so there's not a lot of folks out there that could help the Latino community. Mm-hmm. And so in November 2018, during Thanksgiving, I was talking to my sister and she was mentioning, oh, I wish we learned Spanish growing up because it could provide so yeah. many opportunities because she lives in Chicago as an interior designer, works with a lot of contractors that speak Spanish. And if you could speak English and Spanish, you could talk to 80% of the world. So a lot of more <laughs> opportunities open up if you could speak those two languages. Well, I don't want to interrupt you. I solemnly swear I'll let your train of thought go back. But another thing, too, is is also reading some of the language as well. And I think gaining some of the Latin dialect and roots is really important because years ago when my wife and I went to Europe for a vacation, one of the things that we found was that, you know, we were in, in Paris but and she took Spanish in high school, but both of those are Latin-based languages. And so because of that, you can actually derive your way between French, Spanish, Italian, because all three are Latin-based. And so, you know, of course, that, that's not going to get you to full fluency, but you can stumble your way through pretty easily with a fairly minimal amount of knowledge. But anyway, the tangent over, please continue with your story. Yeah, and that's basically why I started was to learn Spanish. And you definitely can use Spanish to understand some a little bit of Italian and French just because of that Latin root background. Yeah. And... I'm pretty conversational. Uh, one of the best things about living as a digital man in Latin America is when you earn dollars, you can spend in pesos. Yeah. I read the book, The 4-Hour Work Week with 10 mm-hmm. Paris, like 10 years ago, and I learned about currency arbitrage and just yeah. 
I was like, okay, there is a real opportunity here. And when you're starting a business, your income is not as high as you want it to be. But so living in Latin America can make things cheaper mm-hmm. for you. And when I was living in Colombia, my rent was like $500 a month. Yeah. Eating out was like $200 a month. Just eating out on restaurants and cooking stuff at home was 200 So a lot cheaper than living in the United States, especially with inflation right now. Yeah, well, because one of the things that's really important to remember is that, you know, there are two ways to achieve effective financial freedom because the formula is always the same. The formula is your annual passive income, or in our case, your, say, digital freedom would be annual digital income, whether it's passive or whether it's something you can earn without having to go into an office, exceeding annual expenses. That's the formula. So there's two ways you can go about doing that. One is to try to build a massive asset base so you can get that income really high so that you can float whatever all your expenses are. Option B is you cut your expenses down as low as you possibly can so that it becomes a really small hurdle to jump over. This incidentally was my father's retirement plan. Is you know He worked for the city of Portland for basically his whole career. He didn't make a ton of money, especially by contemporary standards, but he saved prodigiously. And he paid down his mortgage. He avoided debt like the plague. I'm fond of saying he was the Dave Ramsey plan before it was cool because he did not spend a nickel on anything that he had to. And you, of course, right, a lot of us are like, well, I don't know that I necessarily want to spend my entire life with extreme frugality, which is fine. But the point is that he was able to achieve financial security with very little income to work with. And he did that by being extremely disciplined on his expenses, especially when you're starting out, if you're building a business, that is a path that is really, really smart to take. Now, if you're investing and building your business, that's different than spending money just because it's something you want to do. But keeping your expenses down when you're starting, I think is a really, really smart path. Yeah. Most businesses fail within the first five years. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of that is cash flow problems. So you're going to make a lot of mistakes running a business, especially when first starting out. So if if you can figure out how to keep your expenses as low as possible, that can allow you to stay in the game how much longer. Yes. Well, and because another analogy that I absolutely love was, I think this was from a Scott Adams book that I was reading one time. And the way that he described entrepreneurship was he likened it to standing in front of a slot machine where what you do is you pull the arm and it spins the wheels. And that's your idea. Okay, you pull the arm, spin the wheels, you don't win. Okay, put another idea out. Pull the arm, spin the wheels. Well, if you stand there for enough time and you test enough ideas and you don't repeat the same failed methods over and over again, then you will eventually find something that clicks. It's just a lot of it is that persistence to keep learning and to keep trying, keep testing, and not give up after you failed once or twice. Yeah, exactly. Just how long can you stay in the game? And I like to say, it's like, how long can you bleed slowly for? <laughs> I love it. Uh, one of the things that I loved about the your digital nomad experience and kind of an idea that I want to unpack as well is that not only is it a way, I think, to learn language, but also it's a way to where you can locate yourself around the people and connections that you would want to make that are based on either whatever skill, network, or other competency that you want to develop. And, you know, so for example, my background is in finance. And so, for example, if you're looking to digital nomad and you wanted to start learning about people who are in, say, the hedge fund space, the investment banking space, okay, 
Go digital nomad in New York for a few months. Go figure out where people are hanging out. Go go start bumping elbows with people. Then, you know, you don't necessarily need to live there for a long time. But if you want to build some connections, there's no better way to build connections than to go to where the people are that are concentrated in the area you want to learn about. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to learn Spanish living in the United States. 99.9% of my time was in English. So yeah, that's a big reason I went to Mexico. And I first started off, I went to one place, Matalan. That's a big place for retired Americans yeah. and Canadians. I didn't really enjoy that place that much. Well, Matalan's a resort town too. So it's kind of, yeah. you know, as like recently with my family, we went on vacation uh, with my in-laws to Cabo San Lucas. Mm-hmm. And the pricing of just about everything made me feel like it was San Diego. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because a lot of people say, you know, oh, things are going to be less expensive in Mexico. Yes, in regular Mexico, in resort town Mexico, it will be just like LA or San Diego. It's, you're not going to save money on anything. Yes, especially if you choose those resort towns. Yeah. And also your opportunity to speak Spanish diminishes there. Because... Diminishes, yeah, because everybody's already so good at English because they speak it so often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but the thing that I, I really want to unpack a little further, you know, it is the idea of relocating yourself to where the skill is that you want to learn, because I think that's a really critical thing for that advanced development. And especially, you know, as of the time of this recording, we're recording at the end of 2022, depending on who you're talking to, people will say there's a risk of recession in 2023. And I like to say, well, no, technically GDP has already dropped for two consecutive quarters. That means we're in a recession now. People like to pretend that reality isn't reality, but that's what it is. And so I think that the, you know, any time that the economy softens or weakens, then building new marketable skills becomes of paramount importance. So tell me about some of the other skills you've really been able to develop kind of with this digital nomad lifestyle. Uh, well, going back on your conversation, like I grew up in Oregon. I yeah. wanted to get my education here before. And a big reason why I joined the Marines is for that GI Bill to get my education paid for. Then when I graduated in 2012, the economy was still pretty bad from the, the Great Recession after the financial meltdown in 2008. Mm-hmm. So that caused me to move to Washington, D.C. for seven years and live there. So I always try to figure out what can I pivot into to gain more skills, gain more opportunities. And just uh, living as a digital nomad, some skills is you realize you can deal with a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. When you go into a new place, you don't know anybody. You don't know where to go eat. You don't know what your living situation is going to be. And you just figure it out and you just learn like, hey, I can figure this out. But, okay. That's... So walk me through that because I'm, I'm just thinking, all right, you move over to D.C., right? Mm-hmm. Okay. There are a whole lot of movers and shakers in D.C. So that is a very high value place to build a network. <laughs> what do you do? You, you, you get there. You don't know who anyone is. Nobody knows who you are. And now you're trying to go from zero to circle of friends, which, by the way, that is an extremely valuable skill because there's, you know, a lot of people like to say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I actually say it's both. It's what you know and who you know. If you just know people and don't have any skills, you're going to hit a wall. If you just have skills and don't know people, you're going to hit a wall. You kind of need both. But anyway, you're, you're, you're trying to create a network of people who you know in the D.C. area. How do you do it? Uh, just joining professional groups or just going to happy hours, look up mm-hmm. at Facebook groups or just look up. In D.C., it's, you can find something every day to go to and go meet with other folks. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes you don't click with anybody. Sometimes you do. It just a uh, game on numbers. You just keep yeah. going out and just 
see how you can leverage the next opportunity. Gotcha. And it's kind of funny because I think a lot of us, you know, I've lived in the Oregon area for my whole life. I was in the Marines also. And so a few years earlier than you, but of course, right, you know, I did some travel with the Marines, but you know, the majority of my life was in Oregon because I was fortunate that I was able to get on Intel, which had a significant Oregon presence shortly after undergrad. But I think that when a lot of us are kind of in the same area for a while, it's really easy to just sort of kind of get into a comfortable group of associates and not really expand that circle. So, but I think that sometimes just putting yourself out there, just going, finding some of those professional organizations and putting yourself out there, regardless of where you're at, you don't have to be in a new city. Even if you're just where you're at right now, going out and doing that is a really important way that you can expand your circle. Mm -hmm. I tell people you should grow your assets in three different areas, Mm -hmm. your financial assets, your human capital assets, and your social capital assets. And your friends, your yourself, and and your finances. If you have all three, you can pivot out of any situation. Yes. And of the three, I would say that financial is the least important. And I wouldn't always have said this because, you know, when I was younger, I was laser focused on need to build your net worth, need to compound, need to do all this other stuff. And so, but as I've gotten older, especially living through the, well, you know, I graduated from Portland State in 2000. So that was basically right in the middle of the tech wreck. And then, of course, I think my wife and I, we had our second child in 2009. So we had our kids right into the Great Recession. And so, you know, the thing to understand is that your net worth can be cut in half at any given time. And so I think the ability and resilience to bounce back and recreate what has been lost is something that a lot of people really undervalue. Because that's one of the things that I really think about right now is I'm like, okay, you know, a traditional career, basically climb the proverbial career ladder, try to accumulate a whole bunch of financial assets so that when the day inevitably comes that you get let go and you can't go and get yourself rehired at your prior salary, that you will have enough to sustain yourself for the remainder of your natural life. Go, okay, well, other than being depressing, that career path being depressing, I said, okay, well, but what if you can generate a reasonable amount of income doing something that you actually enjoy and is not bound by an employer. If that's the case, then it changes the general economics. And then compound that by saying, and what if you develop the ability to pivot into new business segments as barriers pop up around whatever you've already established? Well, now once that happens, you become much more resilient and the precise gyrations of financial markets become less meaningful because whatever it is, you can adapt to it. Yeah, exactly. Building resiliency, developing that grit are very valuable skills because yeah. I heard somewhere on average every 90 days, something's going to set you back. That could be financially, yeah. socially, physically. Like when you get knocked down, how can you get back up? Precisely. And tell me whether this resonates with you or not. But one of the things that I like about what you're describing with your digital nomad experience is that what you're doing is it's almost like you are intentionally changing your environment on frequent intervals so that you have to adapt. Because I think that what a lot of people do is a lot of people get comfortable in their circumstances and then lose the ability to to adapt. And then after a while, if your adaptability gets far enough out of practice, then when something big inevitably happens, which statistically happens about every 10-ish years, something really big happens that has a very major impact on a lot of people. Every 80 years, something huge happens that has an impact on almost everybody on the planet. 
And if you've gotten too set in a particular status quo, I think that creates so much anxiety that people just get frozen. Is this something you've experienced or am I a little bit out to see here? Yeah, definitely. There's tons of things that have happened to me. In like high school, I tore my ACL playing football in my senior year of high school. I'm like, I don't know, went to the, the Marines. I uh, went in the Marines, went to Iraq. I didn't see anything, but just like going through that experience, I was really like, oh, okay. I know what miserable feels like. So, <laughs> so that's another good perspective is know how to be miserable because not everything is going to go go smoothly. So if you know, if you can have the right perspective, like, okay, I've been through this. It's not so bad. I'm a stronger person now. This is how I need to move forward to get where I need to be. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That completely and totally makes sense. Let me ask, is there a question that I should have asked you but didn't? Nah, just, I would say the biggest thing is just focus, just embrace uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Don't expect complete order. If you become a digital nomad in Latin America, you might be in a neighborhood that's really noisy. You might be in a place where internet is not the best. That is something I wanted to ask because I would assume that, yeah, Kyra, you probably go through a lot of places where the internet is a little sketch. Mm-hmm. How do you work around that? The first thing you should do is contact the, the owner and be like, hey, this is not doing very well. Can you fix it? And then... If it's in a new city, I would only do like an Airbnb or a hotel for like a couple of days at a time just to test it out. Yeah. So I'm not committed to a whole month in one place because I've done that before mm-hmm. where I got to this one place and the next door they were building a new house and cutting tile every day from Ooh. sunrise to sunset. And it was so noisy I couldn't really do anything. So you learn stuff like that. Don't commit too much at once. Mm-hmm. And just figure out, okay, if this doesn't happen, what is the next thing I should do? Got it. This is one of the things that I'm kind of thinking through, you know, because one of the things that you learn in the Marines and other branches of the military as well is that, you know, whenever you're in any type of situation, you just basically, you know, assess your options based on where you're at right then, Mm -hmm. make the best decision you can for right then, and then reevaluate when the situation changes. You know, I think there's a tendency for a lot of us to be one to think 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 steps ahead, which, you know, if you have enough stability to be able to do that can be beneficial. You know, that's one of the reasons why when you're playing chess, they always say think six moves ahead because chess is a square board with a set number of spaces and a set amount of rules. On the other hand, if you have a rapidly changing, highly volatile environment, thinking 20 steps ahead might not be the right thing. You might just want to think one step ahead, as in what is my one next best step? And then once you get there, think what is my one next best step? And I think that being able to kind of slow things down to that, what is the best thing for me to do with the situation right now is something that I think a lot of people have kind of lost because the economy has been stable for so long. I don't know. Is that something you've observed as well? Well, just people just get comfortable. One of my favorite quotes is, the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. So I'm going to steal that one. Yeah, that's, uh, I studied public health and we learned about behavior changes. Just realized a lot of stuff is behaviors. Like how well do you adapt to change and what behaviors can you adopt to help you get where you need to be? Going back to decision-making, I read this really cool called John Boyd. He's a Air Force pilot. Yep that train the Marines about decision-making the battlefield. He uses ODA loop. Mm-hmm. So you observe the environment, see what's going on. Then you orientate yourself in the direction you need to go. Then you decide what you need to do, and then you act on it. 
And as soon as you finish the act part, then you go back to the beginning. Yeah. And so just constantly just be aware of your situation and just like, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what's happening. Okay. This is where I need to go. What is the next best step for me to go? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I agree with you. Don't plan 20 chapters ahead because I'm in financial planning. People tell me like, oh, I want to do this. And then like two years later, like, oh, I found somebody. So actually I'm not going to live alone. So I'm actually going to raise this family. So the whole thing needs to change. So I just tell people, just think about one chapter ahead yeah. and just accumulate your assets in those three areas. And you're going to have the flexibility to pivot yeah. to the next best thing. Got it. All right. Well, Joe, first of all, thank you for coming on the show today. And uh, let everybody know where they can find you, uh, either on social or your website uh, or any other way that they can connect. Yeah, they can find me on my website, uh, bautistaplanningandanalytics.com. That's where I focus on organizational management consulting and financial planning with a tax planning focus. Uh, you can also find me on social media at Joe B. Planning because I'm always planning things. Nice. Well, hey, Joe, really appreciate your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the People First Leaders podcast. If you are a successful People First founder or CEO who would like to be on this show, please visit peoplefirstleaders.net forward slash guest. If this interview resonated, would you please share it on social media? Just take a quick screenshot on your phone and post it on your favorite social channel. Then make sure to tag me at Doug Value so I can give you and your business a shout out on a future episode. If you know somebody who'd be a great guest, please tag them on social and include the hashtag PeopleFirstLeaders. I really love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're releasing new content and episodes all the time, so make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me personally. And also, I would like to connect with you on social. My handle is at Doug Value, or you can just go to peoplefirstleaders.net where all of the links are posted. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.